one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good afternoon and welcome to the Beyond the Game program. I am your fill-in host for today, Zach Barletta. Rick Benson is out of town today. He's doing some kind of whirlwind tour of America. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'm filling in for him here, doing double duty as host and our normal role as producer. Joining me to keep me from droning on all by myself is my brother, Spencer Barletta, live from Roanoke, Virginia via the magic of Skype. Spencer, how you doing? Doing great, man. Happy to be back on the show, and uh, appreciate you having me. No problem. Well, let's let's dive right into it. The Olympics just wrapped up not too long ago. The Olympics from Pyeongchang, South Korea, and Benson and I have talked the last few weeks on the show while the Olympics were ongoing about whether or not we were watching them. And he's watched a lot more than I have, but neither one of us has really watched as much as we used to in years past. And you know, we joked about that, but then the numbers came out, and it turns out that the 2018 Winter Olympics were the least-watched Olympics in history. Um, and I'm trying to figure out why that is. Do you have any ideas? I guess it could be any number of things, and, and I know, much like you, I did not have much of an opportunity to watch many of the Olympics other than what was on at the television at work. And as sad and morbid as a... As it is, as a way to start off the show, I can't help thinking that part of it is probably due to um, many Americans no longer having kind of a source of pride in the Olympic Games or the representation of their country. Um, You know, take that as you will, but it does seem like, whereas in in years past, it was a source of excitement, of, of unity, something that everyone had to watch, that they had to watch together, and that they took a source of pride in, it feels like just where we are as a country overall right now, that it's kind of an entertainment that's up there maybe with uh, with any other sport that you wouldn't naturally watch, except it's on the television right now. Yeah, I think that could be a big part of it. Um, I also think, you know, I was having a conversation with my wife the other day about the figure skating in the Olympics, and she said, you know, um, she goes, I really love figure skating, but she goes, I haven't watched any this year, and I said, why is that? And she said, well, there aren't any skaters that she knows like there used to be. And she listed off the Scott Hamiltons and the Elvis Stoikos and the Michelle Kwans and Tara Lipinskis. And she goes, I really don't know that many of the skaters anymore. And I think, uh, in a way, it's sort of become like boxing is, where there aren't those mega stars of the sport anymore. And I mean, there's the national pride thing. You know, you root for your team no matter who the athletes are. And you learn new athletes as you watch, but... I think there aren't as many of those athletes that we know from previous Olympics, and I almost wonder if that might be part of it as well. It certainly could be a part of it. I actually, myself, just the other day, was talking with somebody about the the Olympics and how I hadn't watched a whole lot of it, and uh, it happened to be on, ice skating was on, and I said, but you know what, I'd watch if Scott Hamilton was on, because I looked and there he was now hosting part of the Olympic Games. So I guess, whether subconsciously or not, I'm kind of in the same camp as your wife. The next thing I want to ask you about, Spencer, is something that I 
think I already know your opinion of because we've been texting about it constantly all week, and that is that the NHL trade deadline occurred at 3 p.m. Eastern on Monday, and uh, our beloved New York Rangers made probably the biggest splash as they sold off pretty much any veteran player that wasn't nailed down, aside from <laughs> Henrik Lundqvist, where they traded Rick Nash to the Bruins, and they traded Captain Ryan McDonough and second-leading scorer JT Miller to the Lightning, among other deals. Um, it's tough to watch a team that's been a playoff contender uh, for the last several years, made a run to the Cup Finals not too long ago, to watch them trade off all the players that you know and love and sort of tear it down and build for the future. Uh, what was it like for you to watch that, and uh, how do you feel about it? I think tough is a good word. It's what you use because not only is it tough to watch your team go through drastic changes, but for me, it was very tough to watch them trade away players to teams I don't like, uh, like the Bruins, like the Devils, and to watch some guys that you love. Now, a couple days later after the trades, you're seeing pictures of them coming out in other teams' jerseys, and it just doesn't quite look right. It looks so um, weird. It's so strange, and, and no matter what sport you're in, um, you know you watch somebody essentially uh, grow up in their their sport sporting career in front of you, and then it's a change, and it looks strange. That being said, I do understand why they did it, and uh, you and I had a conversation about how at the beginning of the year, based on how displeased we were with the coaching in the past, we thought we might be here. Uh, you know, as New York Ranger fans, at a point where we were sellers at the deadline and we're watching uh, some faces changing. And it really does feel like there will be next to no one on the team next year that was here at the beginning this year. And while it is tough, I do think it was a necessary move. And while I'm still kind of figuring it out, I'm not 100% sure how to feel about the haul that they received because some of that will determine on how they're used and what those draft picks become. I guess I, I will say I'm I'm unsure but hopeful. I'm I'm optimistic. How about you? Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. You know, it was it was tough, um, but like you said, it, it's watching these guys in not just in other teams' uniforms, but to see Rick Nash play for the Boston Bruins, who are a rival of the Rangers, and Michael Grabner for the New Jersey Devils, who are a rival of the Rangers. You know, and then you know your captain Ryan McDonough and J.T. Miller for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are sort of rivals. You know, after uh, um, the way that they really had the Rangers number over the last few years, but mm-hmm. Uh, they go to join the Rangers South, which are the Lightning, which there are so many former Rangers from that <laughs> Stanley Cup run on that team. And I think the interesting thing is that they all were traded within the Eastern Conference, which means they're all fighting. They're, they're All those players' new teams are all fighting each other for playoff spots and uh, really impacting the race. So even though the Rangers aren't in the playoff race in the East, a lot of now former Rangers are impacting that race in a big way. Absolutely. So I guess at least we we do still kind of get to watch them. The last thing I want to bring up before we go to our first break is a a mock draft, an NFL mock draft that CBS Sports released on Tuesday, which had a blockbuster trade that would be one of the biggest that we've ever seen, which is in this mock draft, CBS Sports said that the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts trade quarterback Andrew Luck to the Browns for both of the Browns' first two picks in the draft, the number one overall and the number four overall, plus their first second rounder and some other things, which would give the Indianapolis Colts, who pick at number three, three of the first four picks in the draft. That would be an incredibly fun scenario. 
Um, obviously, the Colts would turn things around as far as building a roster, while the Browns would have the finishing piece to what is a pretty good offensive group in quarterback Andrew Luck. Uh, Spence, do you see any chance of such a trade happening, and uh, how crazy would it be? I'll answer your questions in reverse order because, first of all, crazy wouldn't even begin to cover it, uh, in my opinion. It would be, like you said, something we've never seen before, totally unprecedented and um, and crazy. I'm not sure on how likely I feel like it is to happen or if it could actually happen, but that being said, if you'd asked me a year and a half ago if the Bills would have traded away Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby, I would have told you that there's no way. So, in a way, I'd almost like to see it happen, and that being said, something you brought up is that even if this trade were to go through after everything died down, you'd have to think that the Browns would somehow find a way to mess it up, right? <laughs> they're, they're the Browns <laughs> for a reason, because they Browns things up spectacularly, and I, you know, I don't see such a trade happening because Andrew Luck's uh, rehabbing shoulder is such a question mark at this point, um, and the Colts seem to have botched that spectacularly. If you remember, you know, before the season, there was talk that, okay, he might miss, he's going to miss uh, some exhibition games, and then, okay, he's going to miss the first couple games of the season, and then, all right, he's going to miss a handful of games, but not enough to put him on injured reserve, and then, oh, he's going to miss at least eight, and then, oh, he's he's not going to play at all this year and uh you know it's look it's a severe injury he's just started throwing within the past few weeks I don't think at this point the Browns are going to trade the number one and number four pick in the draft among other things for a quarterback who may or may not have a healthy shoulder but I mean look there's uh, almost two months to go before the draft if good reports are coming out, good medicals are coming out, he gets a clean bill of health from the doctor, then, you know, maybe. But I would have to say the chances are pretty low. I do think that probably for two reasons that you've alluded to or we've already mentioned that it couldn't happen. Number one is because the Colts would want a massive return for Andrew Luck and probably even more than those two picks because as many analysts have described Andrew Luck, he may be the best player in football when he's fully functional and healthy. So I think they would want the moon for him. And then, of course, the shoulder um, being a question mark would prevent the deal from happening. And I also think that some of the Colts fans may lose their minds if that were to happen. Um, And then one other thing might be that I feel like the Browns have just enough left, just enough uh, pieces left that they really need that they might not be able to afford to give up a one and a four with so much talent and such uh, hopefully elite level starting material that they would get from those picks. Yeah, they need a secondary. They could uh, they could really use Jordan Poyer back, among other things. They really do. All right, stay tuned. After the break, we're going to talk some more about the NFL draft and what we think Buffalo Bills should do at quarterback. You're listening to Beyond the Game. Don't go anywhere. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Hey, it's Zach. 
If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, the Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. I am Zach Barletta, filling in for Benson this week. Along with me is my brother, Spencer, live on Skype from Roanoke, Virginia. And Spencer, we left off before the break talking about a mock draft that had the Indianapolis Colts trading Andrew Brown to the Cleveland Browns for the Browns' two first-round picks and some other things. We said it's probably not very likely because of Andrew Luck's health. But let's shift the focus to a team a little closer to home. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills, because you and I both are big-time Bills fans. We're in the middle of doing a lot of draft analysis and scouting to figure out what they're going to do at the NFL draft. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is the Buffalo Bills quarterback position. Currently, as the roster stands now, Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback. I think we all agree there's pretty much a 0% chance that he is the starting quarterback when the season opens this fall. What do you think the Bills do with Tyrod Taylor, and how do you think they replace him? I think that right now the position that they're taking on Tyrod Taylor is a very smart one in that a lot of teams knew that Tyrod Taylor was probably going to be traded or cut. And so what the Bills have done in recent weeks is to leak out reports or to directly give reports that say, hey, we're comfortable paying him his base salary and a $6 million bonus on top of that because we want to ensure the quarterback position. By doing that, they kind of let any team out there know that might have wanted to scoop him up off a free agency, the market, that, hey, make an offer, you're not going to get him for free. So I do think that the chances of him coming back as the the QB1 in Buffalo are very slim because they are doing literally everything that they can to try and find a different option. That being said, I think that right now it looks like the method that they're taking is to try and get whatever they can for Tyrod Taylor. They're possibly going to be one of the more active teams making some other trades as well. And then it looks like they're going to take a big shot in the in the upcoming draft. Yeah, no, I believe that the the Bills are paying his guaranteed money, of course. And if they pay the roster bonus, that leaves the acquiring team to have a starting quarterback for this season at approximately only $10 million cost to them, which is very affordable and downright cheap for an NFL quarterback. Especially when you consider what uh, quarterbacks like Mike Glennon and uh, almost AFC champion Blake Bortles are even making on uh, on their contracts upcoming. So really very affordable, very very uh, okay position to be in. Absolutely. Now, the big question that has Bills fans buzzing in this neck of the woods at, at this point in the year is the question of whether or not to trade up for a quarterback. Um, I know we've been talking about it for basically a year, almost, since last year's draft. Our entire when, lives, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def, <laughs> in your case, definitely, because you're younger than I am. But um, the Bills, 
in last year's draft, they traded down from the 10th spot to pick up an extra first round in this coming draft from Kansas City. And we looked at it and we said, okay, the 2018 draft is loaded with good quarterbacks. The Bills have two first round picks. They restructured Tyrod Taylor's contract to make him cheap to get rid of at this point. All the signs are converging to say this is the time that the Bills are going to make their move for the franchise quarterback. The downside that they did not expect to happen is that they had an unexpected playoff year and dropped to the number 21 pick. So uh, those two first-round picks, those in Kansas City, are 21-22, which everybody knows, which would make it a little more difficult to trade up for the quarterback in the first round than if you were picking at, say, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. So there's talk of the Bills maybe staying put, maybe uh, waiting for somebody like Mason Rudolph in the second round. I know, speaking for myself, I would love to see the Bills be aggressive, pay the freight, move up to where they can, and get that franchise quarterback. I'm a firm believer that if you identify a quarterback in the draft that you wholeheartedly believe can be your franchise quarterback... You pay what you have to pay to get them and figure out the rest of the roster as you go. What's your opinion about the Bills trading up? Do you say yay or nay? Uh, It's a yay for me. I think that the best possible way that I can get my point across is through the words of uh, a tweet that I saw recently that said something like, please, for the love of all that is good in this world, get us a quarterback. And uh, <laughs> Signed every Bills fan for the last 17 years. Exactly. It's And it's not just a feeling of desperation on the behalf of Buffalo Bills fans. In, in my opinion, you're going to have to do it, uh, like you said, pay the freight at one point or another. Either you build up the roster around the quarterback position using some of these picks, and you have a hole at quarterback, and we've seen what the, what can happen um, with lots of teams when this happens, when they get into the playoffs. Even Blake Bortles did not play bad, but he's not elite, and he was not able to get the job done. Case Keenum wasn't able to get the job done, and these are good quarterbacks. So either you build the team around the quarterback, you finish in the last part of the, the draft, you end up you know past 15 in the draft, uh, with a decent team and no quarterback, or you get your quarterback, and then you might have holes either way, whether you take the quarterback or not, but I will always err on the side of having my quarterback in place and having some holes that I can fill through free agency or maybe even luck into another position later in the draft than I would to build a good team that's just missing the most important piece in all of sports. The Green Bay Packers are perennial playoff contenders, but without Aaron Rodgers this year, they had a losing record. The Colts are perennial, at least a perennial good team, possible playoff caliber. Without Andrew Luck, somebody described them last year as the blue and white Browns. So I don't think it's a stretch to say the best opportunity at continuing to be a team that plays at a high level is to have the most important position on the field and possibly the single most important position in sports loaded with the best possible talent that you can get so I'm all for team trade-up now what you just said about making sure that you have the quarterback position locked down that could almost be an argument for signing a free agent quarterback instead because it's somebody that's been in the league and had some success um Somebody like a Kirk Cousins, somebody like a Case Keenum, you know, Alex Smith, had he not gone to the Redskins. What would you say if the Bills were to forego trading up in the draft, use those two first-round picks to take 
say, a defensive tackle and a center and shore up positions of need and then sign a Case Keenum or back up a Brinks truck for Kirk Cousins, would that be any better or any worse than drafting a quarterback, in your opinion? In my opinion, it would be something that might pay dividends now in the immediate one- to two-year future, but that would cause issues down the line. I'll start with Kirk Cousins. If you think about the amount of money, which is probably 25 to $30 million a year that this guy's going to make, and then you can front-end or, or you know load up in the back of a contract, of course, but this guy's going to be owed so much money that at some point, whether it be this year or in the, in the near future, his contract is going to affect what you're able to do with the rest of the team that you surround him, uh, that you surround him with. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have said time in and time out that we want to win now, but we want to win later. And I think a Case Keenum is going to be uh, less costly, but we're also not sure exactly what he is. We've seen him play at his absolute best for Pat Shermer in Minnesota, but Pat Shermer literally got a head coaching job for the New York Football Giants, a huge franchise, based on what he was able to do with Case Keenum based on his coaching and the talent he was surrounded with. So would you be able to uh, to maybe win with a Case Keenum and some first-round, second-round picks that you wouldn't have had otherwise? I think it's possible with excellent coaching and with the perfect pieces surrounding him. Could you win with a Kirk Cousins? I feel like Kirk Cousins is an above-average quarterback, um, in this league, he's had, I think, over 4,000 years for years in a row, so nothing wrong with Kirk Cousins. But I do not think he's elite, first of all. And second of all, I think that the amount of money that he will require, he he deserves a lot of money, but I don't know that he deserves to be the highest-paid quarterback or player in NFL history, and it will affect the cap in the future. So my philosophy for going quarterback in the draft is... Build your roster with a guy that you know, that you like, that's cheap, that has immense talent, and then allow yourself to win in the future as well. I agree. And you know who I think Kirk Cousins' favorite person in the world is? Is handsome Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> because Jimmy GQ got the largest contract in the history of the NFL after making seven NFL starts. So if you're Kirk Cousins, you've got big cartoon dollar signs replacing your eyeballs because your agent can rightfully say that if a quarterback with seven career starts just got the largest contract in history, your guy who's got multiple consecutive 4,000-plus yard passing seasons, who's been a playoff quarterback, should easily eclipse that deal as the new most expensive player in NFL history. And look, as far as that relates to the Buffalo Bills, the Bills are going to be right up against the cap. Um, they do not have the money without shedding more players. Tyrod Taylor would have to go, and uh, I believe Cordy Glenn would have to go, just to make it even possible, let alone probable. So, Kirk Cousins, very good quarterback. I like him. We use his sound drop on the show every week. But Kirk Cousins, to me, is just not practical for the Buffalo Bills. Case Keenum, I do like. He's a great story. He's a good dude. Let's great Christian keep in, guy. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep in mind that this was his first season that he's looked anywhere near this good. And he was throwing to Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, who are two amazing receivers. So exactly. there's no guarantee that his amazing season this year, while I do think he's a very good quarterback, there's no guarantee that that transitions to this Buffalo offense. So... 
I'm with you. I would much rather shoot for the moon in the draft, pay what you have to pay to do it, and get your guy. While we're on the subject of adding to the Buffalo Bills roster, they signed cornerback Vontae Davis this week, formerly of the Dolphins and most recently the Colts. Uh, Now, Vontae Davis is, I believe, 29. Uh, He's probably lost a step from what he used to be as an elite shutdown man-to-man corner. Um, He had a bad year this year, not a great year the year before, but he was injured this year when he played. Uh, He, of course, had that very public flap with the Colts where he said that he was still injured, but the Colts cleared him and tried to make him play through the injury. Um, So I think we can kind of wipe the slate clean. As, and as well, the Bills are going to need him to be the number two corner. He's not going to be the top guy. He's going to play zone a lot of the time as opposed to having to be a shutdown corner. The deal is pretty inexpensive. It's a base salary of $5 million with three and a half of that guaranteed. Uh, the incentives in the deal can make it as high as $8 million. Spence, I think it's a good signing for the Bills. I think the price was right. What do you think about Vontae Davis? I love this signing. I was concerned and even originally in the camp uh, when we learned that EJ Gaines, the cornerback who uh, Vontae Davis will most likely be replacing, when I learned that he was probably leaving, um, I, I was you know distraught. I, he played so well when he was available in Buffalo, but that was the problem. He wasn't available very often. I think he missed between six and eight games because of uh, you know soft tissue injuries. And so I was concerned with how could we possibly replace this guy. And the more that I look at this signing, the more I like it. Uh, Vontae Davis coming out uh, of college, and it's been a while for 29-year-old Vontae Davis, but his original scouting um, report said that he's actually better in his own defense than he is in man-to-man, and he was elite for a while in man-to-man. And zone defense is exactly what Sean McDermott runs on the Buffalo Bills uh, defense, excuse me, and um, uh, it seems like a no-brainer for me. Not only that, and I hope I'm not stealing another thing that you meant to talk about here in a minute, but the accumulation of these picks by releasing EJ Gaines, by possibly letting Vontae Davis go a whole year from now, by the compensation we'll get um, for Jordan Matthews, who, while didn't, he did not do very well in Buffalo because of health and other reasons, wide receivers are in such high demand, he will also probably receive a large contract, affording the Buffalo Bills another pick. All of these picks are exactly what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean want at their disposal, and for not only roster-building purposes, but the more picks you have, the more uh, picks you have that you can trade if you're trying to make a massive jump up the board for that quarterback that we talked about earlier. Yes, and it's important to note that compensation picks can be traded. So down the line in the future, you can see the Bills having an extra third to add players to the roster or to trade them for what they need. So we're up against a break. I think we agree. Trade up, grab the quarterback. Vontae Davis is the man. We'll be right back after these messages. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. 
bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Wow. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him... You see the top of that thing even the sky has no limit there are some moments only the forest can inspire find yours at discovertheforest.org learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go your moment is out there find it at discovertheforest.org brought to you by the u.s forest service and the ad council Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Zach Barletta, filling in for Rick Benson this week. Filling in for me as the co-host of the show was my brother, Spencer Barletta, live via Skype from the great and beautiful state of Virginia. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so on Twitter, at BTG Program, on Facebook at BTG Program. You can visit us at btgprogram.com. Spencer... We've talked a lot of football today. It's time to do probably my favorite segment of the show, which is shenanigans. Looking through the questions that I came up with this week, there's a lot more football. Is that okay with you? <laughs> it's okay with me. I uh, We're at the point of the year where I'm so starved for football with the combine and the draft coming up. We can we can talk football all episode, all, all, uh, all show long. All right. Well, the first question is a football question that involves a little baseball. The New York Yankees have brought Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson to spring training, just like the Texas Rangers used to do before trading his rights to the Yankees. Truth or shenanigans? Bringing Wilson to camp is a fun public relations move, but does it do anything for the Yankees besides that? I think you have to say it's true. I can't really think of anything other than maybe giving the uh, the team a break or, or a distraction. Uh, I can't think of anything other than that uh, as far as Russell Wilson being a part of the team. So far for me, the only thing that's been interesting in regard to him being at training camp is the uh, a meme that came out that I saw that uh, had a picture of Russell Wilson, and it said that moment when the best quarterback uh, in New York is a Yankee. Yeah, I saw that too. I got a chuckle out of that. Look, I, uh, Russell Wilson's a cool guy. I think by and large, we like Russell Wilson. Um... But look, the last I read, he's not going to be playing in spring training games. They don't want him getting hurt. Uh, he took batting practice. Now, it was cool that they put him in the batting practice group with Judge and Stanton and Sanchez because, look, that's the only group that ESPN cares about or Yes Network cares <laughs> about, you know? So stick him in with those guys. Let the media just follow that one batting practice group and leave the other guys alone. But uh, I just don't know how much... I guess what they're saying is that he brings intangibles and leadership ability and winning qualities and that the young players can, you know, have that rub off on them. I really don't know how much of that is true. 
because uh, I think a lot of that when you are learning leadership abilities from a veteran player is you watch him when he studies film, you watch him when he, you know, was working in the hitting cage or uh, and throwing drills or whatever. And I don't think they're going to see Russell Wilson doing that stuff because he does those things for football, not for baseball. So uh, I think it's cool. And uh, you know, if somebody takes something away from it, then fine. But I, I got to say, true. I don't think the team is getting too much out of Russell Wilson being there other than a little extra PR. The Kansas City Chiefs got an underwhelming return this week from the Rams for cornerback Marcus Peters, who has been extremely productive, but also allegedly clashed with his coaches and teammates. Truth or shenanigans, getting a troublemaker out of your locker room is worth losing out on a very talented player. I have to say true uh, with a bit of a caveat. I think the statement in itself... um, that getting rid of a troublemaker is worth losing out on a talented player is true. That being said, in this situation, I have to say that I think that the Kansas City uh, Chiefs got fleeced in a little bit of a boneheaded move. Um, they got very little return for who is largely considered to be the uh, best uh, ball-hawking cornerback in the NFL and probably a top-five corner in general. I do believe in the kind of locker rooms that are process-oriented, pun intended, um, that look for uh, intentional character guys. And from what I understand, Marcus Peters is an elite athlete, that he's an electric player and a a big personality, but that he does kind of clash, excuse me, with both leaders in the locker room and the coaches. So I can understand feeling like your team is better or has better leadership or can move on without that distraction. At the same time, I feel like you have to get what is fair compensation in return for the best uh, best thing for your football team, and it doesn't feel like they got it. So true to the statement, but shenanigans, they should have made that trade. Yeah, I agree. Look, there's, there's a point at which a player just, you can't bring him back, right? Where he's causing division within the locker room, where he's causing enough of a problem that it's affecting the rest of the team. I don't think Marcus Peters was affecting the rest of the team because they were a really good football team for most of the season and went into the playoffs and were about one half of football away from moving on to the second round. Um, And for another thing, you can live with some stuff like this from a player if he's producing at an elite level, which Marcus Peters did, and he's also very young. You know, this was a guy that was not only elite, but also you had him under control for a while and he's just coming into his prime years. And to get a fourth-round pick this year and a second-round pick next year for a guy who's one of the top, if not the top corner, you know, in the league is is, is just mind-blowing. It's unfathomable. You know, I can't... Um, I really can't understand what where they're coming from. And, you know, somebody has said, well, you know, they got an underwhelming return because there was only one interested team, and that was the Rams. Well, my response to that would be, if there's only one interested team, don't trade them. Keep them. Keep them. You need them. You know, I mean, they had trouble finding a good corner to play on the other side of the field for him. He was really their, he was really it as far as corners for them. And they just added, I believe, Kendall Fuller from the Redskins in that Alex Smith trade. So it looked like they were going to have two really good corners. And now they're going to have the same problem again this year, where they're going to have a good corner on one side and nobody on the other side. Oh, and they don't have a first-round pick because it belongs to the Buffalo Bills. So unless they can find a starting corner in free agency or 
in the second or third round of the draft, they haven't made their team any better. And I really struggle to see how this trade makes any sense for the Chiefs. So um, I have to say shenanigans. In this case, I don't think getting rid of Troublemaker was worth losing out on the talent. Fair enough. Number three, the Minnesota Vikings are reportedly not going to franchise tag quarterback Case Keenum, who we mentioned earlier in the show. Truth or shenanigans, with the Vikings not bringing back Keenum, they should be considered favorites to sign Kirk Cousins. What do you think, Zach? I think they have to be among the favorites. I don't know if I would consider them the number one team because the Denver Broncos just seem like such a perfect and logical landing spot. Um, But look, the Vikings have more money than the Broncos. Uh, They were just one game away from the Super Bowl. They're built to win now. Uh, The only concern would be that signing Cousins to a long-term deal for the money that he's going to get would cost them the ability to re-sign some of their core young defensive players in a couple of seasons. So, um, look, if you're the Vikings and you think we can win it this year, then you do it. You figure out next year, next year, and you win this year because flags fly forever. So, uh, I don't know if I would consider the Vikings the number one contender. I think that still might be the Broncos. And, you know, we've heard that rumor that the Jets are willing to pay him $60 million in the first year of his deal if he signs there. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that would be fun. But um, I think the Vikings have got to be considered serious, serious contenders to sign Kirk Cousins. My thinking is right along that same line. I don't know if he uh, would consider them the favorite or if we should consider them the favorite, but they should be up there. Um, We know that the Jets have a lot of money, but Kirk Cousins has said that he wants to play for a talented roster with a chance to win. For me, that's not the Browns, that's not the Jets, that is the Vikings, and that is the Broncos. And the Vikings are more ready to win than the Broncos, but I think, uh, similarly to what you said, John Elway is not going to rest uh, until Kirk Cousins has signed a contract. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Uh, The Vikings seem to have more money, and if I was Kirk Cousins, I would want to throw to Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Ken Rudolph and dump the ball off to Dalvin Cook, but you never know what exactly is going to happen. Another quarterback we mentioned earlier in the show is Blake Bortles of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Blake Bortles somewhat stunningly signed a nice contract extension not too long ago that will keep him in Jacksonville for an extra two seasons. Truth or shenanigans, though, Blake Bortles will still be the Jaguars' starting quarterback by the time his new contract extension ends. I have to say shenanigans. I don't think that he will. I think that football is a game where teams change so quickly, and so I'm inclined to think that as contracts change, as offensive and defensive line, as maybe some of that vaunted Jacksonville defense starts to go, the pieces will that surround Blake Portals and make him look like a decent quarterback are going to start to dwindle or to get old or to leave. And at some point, Blake Bortles is once again going to be exposed as, at very best, a competent quarterback, and at very worst, a liability. So I can't help thinking that some for, that for some time in the next three years, they won't have to maybe start this team all over again, or be looking for that one big piece that will turn them around being a quarterback. I just can't see it happening. I'm going to say shenanigans. He will not be. Yeah, I say shenanigans as well. I... Blake Bortles isn't a good quarterback, you know? I mean, he 
people will say, well, you know, he got his team to one game away from the Super Bowl. Well, stop it. That defense got them to one game away from the Super Bowl and probably (laughs) should have won that game against the Patriots, except they went into a vanilla shell of a defense in the second half. Look, Blake Bortles is not a good quarterback. Uh, He's just not. You know, look, he runs around. He won the game with his legs against the Bills. That's true. Um, But he's not good. And the, the, the Jaguars have been able to sort of hide that this season by running the football so much. But, look, if you get into a playoff game where your quarterback has to win you the game with his arm, I don't want Blake Bortles in that game. So <laughs> I think somewhere in the next three years, they will uh, draft a quarterback, probably somewhat high, um, to groom behind him to sit for a year or two, maybe even as soon as this year. So uh, I think eventually whoever that guy is surpasses Blake Bortles, and Blake is relegated to the bench. Last but not least, Thomas Placanek had to shave his goatee after being traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs because Leafs general manager Lou Lamorello has a no-facial-hair policy. Truth or shenanigans, team policies regarding facial hair are stupid and outdated. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I um, I do think that they're stupid and outdated. I, I would put a little bit of a disclaimer on there. Um, because I could see where somebody might be able to manage turning their facial hair into something obscene or uh, completely, you know, unacceptable or, you know, shouldn't be on TV. But other than that, I think there's no good reason not to allow it. Um, I think that very much this is something that is a bit of like a a cultural uh, thing. You know, facial hair, the way people view it has changed through our culture, through the last few generations. Mm-hmm. So I can't see where it's something that's offensive. But at the same time, uh, you know, if you know what you're signing up for, being a, a Yankee, being apparently a uh, Toronto Maple Leaf, I, I guess you know what you're signing up for. You go in and you do it anyway. Yeah, and I actually started thinking about this a week or two ago when it was announced that Derek Jeter would be ending the Marlins' no facial hair policy, something that uh, they took from the Yankees, I believe, when Joe Girardi went there. And I don't know if it had continued with Don Mattingly or not, but uh, Derek Jeter has announced that the Marlins will be able to have facial hair. And I was like, you know, that really shouldn't be news in 2018. (laughs) We shouldn't be telling these grown men that they can't have a mustache or a beard if they want to. And Especially in hockey, my goodness, you know, the playoff beard is a tradition going back a long time. Right. So, uh, I agree with the statement. Facial hair policies are stupid and outdated. These are grown men. These are elite athletes who are putting their bodies on the line to, you know, to make money for your franchise. So, to tell them that they have to shave every day is frankly ridiculous. I might be a little bit biased because whether I liked it or not, I've had a beard since I was like 15 years old, but... uh... (laughs) I just can't think of a negative way that it impacts the game. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. We'll be back right after this. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. 
Are you a fan of March Madness? The Red Hawks are. And Roberts Wesleyan College will be hosting the East Coast Conference Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament this year. Plan to attend the semifinals on Saturday, March 3rd, and championship Sunday on March 4th, as teams compete to punch their ticket to the NCAA D2 National Tournament at Roberts Wesleyan College, Rochester's only NCAA Division II Athletic Scholarship Program. For all your Red Hawks information, visit robertsredhawks.com. Roberts Wesleyan, make it yours. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Benson does a great job of taking a story from sports and adding a spiritual twist to it and using it to teach a lesson. And I really don't have that gift. So what I thought I would do this week is that I would play one of my favorite interviews from several years ago. This is an interview with former Expos and Dodgers general manager Kevin Malone. Kevin Malone is the former general manager of the Montreal Expos and of the Los Angeles Dodger, and he joins us now on the Town & Country phone line. He is also someone who has traveled to different parts of the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome, Kevin. I'm glad you could join us. Hey, Rick. You guys, it's good to be on the show. As a matter of fact, I've been traveling all over the place and uh, trying to fight human trafficking. Now, it's a big problem, not only internationally but as well in the usa and trying to see what i can do to help uh, prevent human trafficking the domestic trafficking of minor girls and sex slavery and trying to strengthen the laws and provide some restoration and healing uh facilities for these for these girls so uh, there's a lot of work to do so i appreciate you guys having me on the show well kevin thank you for your ministry we're here in uh, rochester new york uh, I know after being drafted by the Indians, you traveled uh, around our neck of the woods here in western New York, yeah, Batavia, I, I Auburn, lived Jamestown. Yeah, I in, uh, in Jamestown, New York, and uh, in, enjoyed my stay there. In fact, I, I played in Batavia, New York, and then uh, my first season in pro ball, and then I coached in Jamestown, so I'm not far from, from you guys, and I, I spent some time in, in Rochester and around that, around that area. Got some friends that live in Utica, New York, so... That's uh, uh, it's a small world, but a beautiful part of the country, and, uh, and I miss miss getting back there more often. Kevin, I was going to ask you what you're into now, but you, you know, you would mention what you're doing there, just uh, traveling around with uh, t- preventing sex trade industry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your ministry, what you're involved in? Well, I appreciate you asking. I think what people need to know, any of your listeners, is that. We've got an epidemic problem in the United States with USA girls, American girls, being trafficked 17 and under. They're not prostitutes. They're, they're, they're basically slaves. Uh, there's pimps that are, that are basically, uh, you know, snatching uh, girls 17 and under and, and forcing them into, uh, you know, to do sex acts as sex slaves. It's happening all over America. It's happening not only in the poor areas of, of U.S. cities. It's happening in middle America, upper middle class, wealthy families. It's a problem, and I think uh, men need to realize it. Women, you know, families need to know that our daughters, our granddaughters are at great risk, and uh, it's become such a lucrative business. It's a $32 billion a year global uh, business, and uh, we need to be aware it's not just happening in the Philippines and Thailand and Cambodia. It's happening in the United States, and uh, we uh, we need to be aware of it. Yeah, you mentioned those foreign countries, and we think when we hear of this, we think of them 
being taken, but you're, it's happening here in the United States. Is there is there hot pockets of that? Are there areas that are more Well, it's concerning? interesting. I think it's sometimes it's a great question. Sometimes it's sector-related. Uh, you know, the truck stops around America have become uh, a big problem, and they come, call some of these girls uh, lot lizards, uh, which is disgusting in, in and of itself to be classified that way, but you know, truck stops, there, there's some issues there, so people that are going through truck stops, be aware of young girls that are possibly being trafficked in those areas. You know, the, some of the oil oil fields, uh, uh, North Dakota, uh, you know, these places spring up, and there's, you know, 30,000, 40,000 men living in a community, and they're, they're doing uh, the, the oil business. Uh, it, it, it happens in places like that. It happens around the Super Bowls, the rodeos, you know, World Cup. So major events where there's a lot of men that come together, um, this is occurring. But, you know, it's in big cities. It's in small cities. It's in, in the south, the Midwest, the northeast, the west. It's all over America. And, you know, it, it, it's happening in suburbia that, uh, you know, that you know there could possibly be, you know, young girls being uh, trafficked, uh, you know, right down the street or maybe even next door. So uh, it, it's just it, awareness needs to be uh to be, you know, thought about and, and, and looked out for. And then there's some action. There's some things to do. There's hotlines. There's different organizations, NGOs, ministries that are fighting human trafficking. And, you know, there's they say there's over 25 million people that are, you know, enslaved right now. It's modern-day slavery, not just sex slavery. There's labor slavery. But, uh, you know, it's, it's growing. It's a big problem. And and we just need to be aware of it, and people need to, you know, try to try to stop it. I think there's a call to action, and this is breaking God's heart. And I think we, as followers of the Lord, need to need to, you know, need to respond. Uh, you know, it's terrifying. Uh, I have a college-age daughter. My co-hosts have uh, young young girls. Uh, we talked last week. We were talking about Stuart Scott and uh, the ESPY Awards, and you know the love he showed for his daughter. Uh, what can we do, Kevin? What can the common person do to help? I mean, obviously prayer sticks out, but apart from that, how can one get involved? That's, a great que- that's another great question. You guys have good questions. I think what we can do is I think you can find out who locally, if it's a ministry, if it's an NGO, if there's organizations that are, are fighting human trafficking, find out who's doing what in your local communities, uh, you know, there's a lot of websites now that people can go on uh, and, and and find out who's doing what. Uh, there's a, there's some awareness groups out there. Uh, uh, there's there's just there's a lot of collaborative uh, task forces being put together. Local law enforcement usually, uh, you know, they're doing their job and they're they're involved in fighting it. But uh, you know, I, I think which it just depends on the particular area as to what's going on and, and how you can get involved. But there is opportunities for people, if it's donating their time, to call maybe congressmen, politicians, to maybe change some laws to make it uh, much more severe on, on these on these Johns, on these rapists. Uh, that could be one thing. Uh, grassroots efforts, getting maybe if you're in a church, getting your church uh, involved. There's services that are needed to be provided for these these girls that are coming out of what they call the game. Uh, you know, there, there, there's just a lot of needs for these young girls. Uh, so there's preventative measures, there's uh, restoration measures, there's there's a lot that can be done, and, and that's a great question, as I said, because everyone has the ability to, to help and make a difference. It's just a matter of being willing 
open to do something. And yeah, this is a great evil. It's unconscionable. It's hard to think about, but it is happening uh, in, in in our neighborhoods. And and if if someone uh, is interested in, in in making a difference, uh, they can find out who locally is is doing things and get involved with them and uh, and help out and, and really step forward and make a difference. We're joined by Kevin Malone. Kevin, praise the Lord for uh, your involvement. Are you able to talk uh, specifically about what it is? You're going into other countries uh, and traveling well, all I'm, about. I'm, I'm getting involved in some other countries. I've been in Thailand. I've been in Costa Rica. But my focus is really on the United States because of what's happening here. You know, I'm involved in Los Angeles in a, in a collaborative initiative to bring together law enforcement politicians, churches, NGOs, ministries, to work together, to collaborate, to find out what are the gaps in the services. You know, we need facilities, places, uh, short-term, like, rescue assessment centers where girls can go once that, uh, you know, they're rescued. And then, they're you know, they can go and start to get immediate help and treatment. And then long-term facilities where, where these girls can go to recover. And, you know, it's a, it's a three- or four-year healing process with a lot of uh, counseling and a lot of medical and needs that, 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 that need to be... Uh, that they need to receive. Uh, so I'm involved with the ministry in, in, in California called FACES. It's Freeing American Children from Exploitation and Sexual Slavery. I'm involved with the ministry in Tampa Bay Area called the Florida Dream Center, and we are uh, involved in fighting human trafficking. And again, the Bedrock Creek uh, uh, initiative I mentioned earlier is CARE 18 LA, and we're doing collabor- taking collaborative measures to get people united so that we can accomplish more as a, you know, work fighting this together than as an individual or, or just one, just organization. So uh, spending a lot of time with it, uh, uh, traveling around the United States, uh, working through different ministries and, and, and the, the Los Angeles Dream Center, the Florida Dream Center, as I mentioned. And there's some churches involved in this, and there's, you know, to try to fight this. So uh, if someone's looking to get involved and make a difference. But I would just, again, you know, as a warning to all fathers, grandfathers, uncles, brothers, this is it's, this is happening, uh, you know, right next door or in your neighborhood. And please don't wait till it hits, you know, too close to home before you're aware of what's going on and get the word out that uh, it's something we need to, to take seriously because it's happening. That was our interview with former Expos and Dodgers General Manager Kevin Malone. Just a reminder, you can find this interview and all of our previous interviews and shows online at btgprogram.com or on your favorite podcast directory. This is Beyond the Game. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal secure servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Zach Barletta joining you here on this beautiful afternoon, joined by my brother, Spencer Barletta from Virginia, as we try to combine to fill the void left by Benson as he is on town this week. Uh, Spencer, we got one more segment left on the show, 
That is our You Like That segment, where we find something from the world of sports this past week that was positive, that was encouraging, that we really liked, made us feel good. Uh, I'll go first. What I liked this week was Texas basketball player Andrew Jones, who has leukemia. He has announced that he's been released from the hospital. He's now receiving treatments on an outpatient basis after spending the last month at the MD Anderson Medical Center in Houston. Jones, to- Jones' doctors told him that he continues to show improvement. He's encouraged by that, and he no longer has to stay at the hospital. So Texas basketball player Andrew Jones being on the road to recovery from leukemia is what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? What I like this week is a conversation had on Twitter by two great wide receivers in the NFL, Antonio Brown tweeted out that he was studying some of the best hands in the league, tagging wide receiver from the Arizona Cardinals, Larry Fitzgerald, and he showed his career drops, including the postseason, indicating how low Larry Fitzgerald's drops were and how much he wanted to be like Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald responded for the world to see, saying, that's far too many drops for my liking, still got work to do. What about your 582 passes and 7,848 yards over the past five seasons? If I'm not mistaken, that's the most by a player in any five-year span in NFL history. My friend, that's the standard. What I like this week is two of the top players in the NFL taking a little bit of time rather than showing uh, any arrogance or pride or their skill, their confidence, taking a little bit of uh, humility to show and appreciate each other's skills in front of the world. You like that? You like that? Yeah, those are two of my absolute favorite players to watch, both of them. Larry Fitzgerald, such a class act. Still has it even after all these years. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Beyond the Game program with me, Zach Barletta, joined, of course, by my brother Spencer Barletta as we fill in for Benson. We're going to do the same thing next week, and two weeks from now, Benson will be back in the pilot's chair running the show. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Twitter, at BTG Program, on Facebook, at Beyond the Game Program. You can find us at btgprogram.com. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments cheesecake recipes anything you want to let us know about thanks for listening we'll see you next week